just pray for a minute, shall we? Lord God, we've heard probably hundreds, some of us thousands of sermons and words. And probably by dinner time we'd have even forgotten what we've actually heard today. But Lord God, if there's one thing that you can touch us, I pray, Lord God, touch our hearts today. Speak to us that something might be embedded into our heart. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And I pray anything of me will be God. And what is from you will stay. Amen. I wonder how many choices you've had already this morning. You know, you get up, don't you, and uh, you have a choice. Shall I have a bath? Shall I have a shower? Shall I not bother? Who cares? Shall I wear trousers or a skirt? Well, that's for us women. I'm glad, Norman, you're not wearing a skirt this morning. Then it's, what shall we eat? Shall I have tea or coffee? I have no problem with that. Tea to me is poisonous. So, shall I have it white? Shall I have it black? Shall I have a cappuccino? Choices, choices, choices. Before we've even started our day, shall we have egg on toast? Shall we have cereal? Choices. So many. Choices in our lives can bring happiness. Choices in our lives can bring sadness. Sadness, uh, Choices in our lives can bring trouble. Over the last month or so, I've been um, going through the Old Testament and looking at the Torah. Can I pull that a little bit down a bit? It's sort of like... I got bitten by three mosquitoes yesterday and that looks like it's going to come for And I've been reading Leviticus. That's the sort of book that you skip usually, isn't it? But I've not only been reading it, I've been going to a a, a site called Calvary Chapel's Ministry and there's a man there and uh, he's been teaching this and it's, it's really been feeding me exactly what Leviticus is really all about, all these laws, all these sacrifices, all the, 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 the priesthood, the garments... And the punishment, the punishment that God would put upon his people that do not obey him. You commit adultery, you're put outside and you're stoned to death. You're a homosexual, you're put outside and stoned to death. My question this morning is, is is God in the Old Testament the same God as in the New Testament? Why would God do such things? God hates sin. God hates sin. We always add on after, but he loves the sinner. And sometimes we put the God hates sin in small writing, but God loves the sinner in big writing. God hates sin. In my grandma's time, it was quite usual for a preacher to bang on the pulpit and shout, you know, you know, you will be damned if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your saviour. I think human rights people would be 
on top of us if we said that now. The wrath of God is upon you if you do not take Jesus into your life and accept his forgiveness. Sadly, we have human rights now and it's taken the place of God's rights. Do what you like, so long as you don't offend anyone else. If you want to live that way, that's fine. Do what you like, it's fine. Even our children, I'm not allowed to smack you. If you want to be rude and naughty and do what you like, you can do what you like. It doesn't matter anymore, because it's human rights. So, question, is God in the Old Testament different from the God in the New Testament? Well, if you start reading Leviticus and Deuteronomy and that, you could say, oh gosh, yes he is. Until you start reading it and not just grabbing the odd verse out. Let's go right back to Genesis. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Genesis 2, verse 15 says, The Lord took the man and put in him the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord God commanded, I've actually underlined that word. He didn't ask. He didn't say you've got a choice. He commanded to the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. consequences, choices we know what happened we could say well why did God put that tree in the garden, why why make that temptation well it's because he gave us free will we're not robots we're not puppets he gave us the choice to choose and we know the story and the downfall of man because they chose wrongly God said, I command you not to eat that. God is holy. God is pure. God is spotless. He cannot look upon sin. He can't look upon it. I think probably one of the saddest times that Jesus, probably the worst time Jesus ever had, worse than Gethsemane, worse than being beaten or crucified, was when He shouted out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God turned his face from him. Because it says in the word that God became sin. He became sin. This spotless, pure God hanging on a tree became sin. Your sin, my sin. The sins of the world. God couldn't look on that. He turned his face. Because a holy God cannot look on sin. And we know the world, the, the, the place turned black and there was earthquakes because of it. But we know the, the end, don't we? We know glory came out of it. But at that time, our Jesus took the sins of the world on him. Sin separates us from God. Nothing else. Nothing else. Sin. A word that people don't like to use today. We give it different names. You're not a homosexual, you're gay. 
I feel sorry for people whose names were gay. You know, you're not a thief. You're a kleptomaniac. You know, we give everyone a pretty name now. It's not sin. It's probably not in the dictionary anymore, I don't know. Because it's not used. It's not something we talk about. It's not something we say, you're a sinner. People say, how dare you talk to me like that? Who do you think you are? If someone, you know, from the pulpit said it today. But we are. And that is what separated us from the love of God. Because, not because he stopped loving us, but because he's so pure, so holy. Those wonderful songs we've sung. So pure, so holy, so... There's not a word big enough to say how amazing he is that he cannot look upon sin. So there's God, and then there's this blackness called sin. And if you look at it like that, there's God. There's this blackness called sin. And then Jesus came right through the middle. Right through the middle. And brought us back into fellowship with God. How? Well, blood had to be shed. Had to be pure blood. Animals and birds without defect. They say there's a scarlet um, thread running right the way through the Bible. Well, in Leviticus, I would say it wasn't a little thread. I'd say bucketfuls of blood. Animals were being taken into the temple for sin offerings over and over again and killed. Their blood was shed. The, the priest had to be the one that took it. And he would take it, he would sprinkle it seven times in the air, seven times on the altar, on their ear, on their thumbs, on their toes. Blood everywhere for the remission of sin. Let's read Leviticus chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bring guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin that he has committed. He is to present the bull to the entrance of the tent of the meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, carry it into the tent of the meeting. Remember at that time, before the, 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 the uh, uh, curtain was ripped, only the priest was allowed in there, and then only once a year, into the tent of meeting, and he is to dip his finger into the blood, sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. The priest shall then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, and the fragrant in incense that is before the Lord at the tent of the meeting. The rest of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar. It must have been a bloody place, mustn't it? Can you imagine this place? It had to be blood because blood was life and it's life that was taken away, the life that we had with God. So it had to be... Um, it speaks of the punishment that you, that you could have if you committed sin. As I say, if you were an adulteress and caught in adultery, you were put outside and you were stoned. Remember the story though when Jesus came? When the adulterer, that woman caught in adultery was being stoned? I always wonder where the man went. You know, poor love, she went on her own, was she? 
he must have done a runner. (laughs) But she was brought before Jesus. He's the one that stood in the gap for us. And he said, you without sin, cast that first stone. I didn't count the ifs that I read through the word because you could look at that as God being cruel, harsh, angry, not the sort of God you really want to praise and sing holy about and love. But I never counted the ifs. If you do this, I will bless you. If you do is what, you know, the, the choices you've got, if you walk this way. Now, is it God just wanting to boss us about or is it because God knows best? He actually knows what is good for us. Is it because God says, you know, doing that kind of thing is going to bring you into terrible trouble? Go this way. The word of God says, do not mock God. Do not mock God. That actually frightens me. God is so holy. Do I, have I got any idea how holy he is? When we go to India, before you go in the church, you take your shoes off. Now, I don't expect that. We're not Indian. We don't do it. But there is something. You go into some churches and you kneel when you pray. There's something that sometimes I think that we've lost when we're entering in to meet with God. We're meeting with God. He said to Moses, you are standing on holy ground. When I meet with God, am I standing on holy ground? Am I aware who I'm actually speaking to? Does this sound a bit hard and going? It gets a bit better as we go along. God wants a relationship with us. God don't like being separate from us. He doesn't like it. His desire is that all men should come to know him. His desire is that we should all know this wonderful holy God. And you know what? It says we will be blessed. It says that his blessings will fall upon us. And I don't mean like some of the things I, I, I hear on the God channel where all of a sudden my bank book will be full. I mean, I heard someone saying, I was so cross, if you send seed money into me, I can guarantee your mortgage will be paid. How awful is that? Well, God never promised that, but he did promise me that he would bless me. He would be my friend. I can have communion with him. This holy God I can speak to face to face. I haven't got to go through a secretary or an answer machine. I'm not in a waiting list. I haven't got to phone up and say, good, put me down on the list. The minute... I've been redeemed, I can go and speak to this holy God. You can go and speak to this holy God. Over and over again we read um, him forgiving the children of Israel when they disobey him. Over and over again we read about his grace and his love for the children of Israel. Over and over again, let's look at Psalm 145. Uh, It'd be good if we read it all, but read it when you're when you're at home, Psalm one four five. But just now we will just read verses four to nine. One generation 
will command your works and another, and they will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of your glorious splendor and your majesty, and they will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and they will proclaim your great deeds. Verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will exalt you. In the end of 13 said, The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. So we're looking at this God who gets very angry and punishes sin and then we're seeing this God full of love and compassion. Do they, do they match up? Is it the same God? Well, it is. Because God is saying, I know you can't do it. I know you can't do it, but you know what? I'm going to send my son. He sent his son. The greatest love the Trinity, a part of himself, he tore out of himself, made man, knowing what was going to happen, knowing what people would do to him and knowing what would happen. No more would a bull, no more would a dove, no more would a goat have to be sacrificed. In Isaiah it says, the blood of a goat, the blood of a bull was never enough. You see, over and over again, you'd have to go and sacrifice something again and then sacrifice again because it was never enough only blood life in other words blood is life and it was life that had to be restored for us to be restored to God we can't buy it we can't buy our way Nicodemus tried to other people have tried if I'm good, you know as well as I do. You've met people. Do you know the Lord? Well, you're a Christian. Do you think you should go to heaven? I'm a good person. I'm kind. I give to the poor. No, but have you been redeemed? Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? Well, I don't do anything wrong. We can fool ourselves that we don't need the blood of Jesus. We can fool ourselves that we're okay. We can fool ourselves. John verse 16, everyone knows it. We speak it over and over again. It reveals the heart of God. For God so loved the world. Let's read it. Sometimes we get it a bit wrong. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, you see there's a choice again, there's an if in that and there's a consequence. That they shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And whoever believes in him will not be condemned. We don't tend to read the next bit. The consequence, the if. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God and his only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but man lights darkness. Sometimes we can look on things outside in the world and think, well, it's so bad, we should get rid of it anyway. You know, I can think of ISIS. Exterminate them. They're so evil. They're so wicked. I didn't really read, you probably all know this, but I didn't really read and understand um, Jonah, the story of Jonah, quite as much. I think I probably read it and you, you remember it as a child and you remember the story that you said to God, I'm not going, and got on a boat, fell out the boat, or got kicked out the boat, fell in a fish's mouth, got vomited up and went. Jonah didn't only say, I don't want to go. He went, they're not worth being saved. They're so foul. They're so horrible. They're so evil. Get rid of them, God. Why do you want to save them? God's desire is to break that curse from Genesis and bring us back into relationship with him. Ian and I have had it said to us, we meet probably some of the vilest offenders. Ian and I work with people that have committed murder, paedophiles, and people have said to me, why don't you put a bomb under the place? Why is the government, why are we paying for them to have food? Why are they living the way they are? They should be gone. Well, it's the same as what he said to Jonah, go and tell them about me. And I can tell you truly, nothing to do with me and Ian, only to do with the Holy Spirit, men are coming to know Jesus and lives being transformed because of the blood of Jesus and nothing else. The blood of Jesus, nothing else. No more, no less. The blood of Jesus. That is what satisfies God, he said. He said it is the blood of Jesus that satisfies him. It's taken away. I can come as a sinner. These, some of these men that we speak to with the, the, the things, believe you me, I struggled when I worked with the sex offenders. I thought, oh my word, Lord, what am I going to do with this? I mean, I've got a 15-year-old grandson, a granddaughter. If I thought anyone had done anything to her, I'd, well, what I'd want to do, I don't want to tell you up here, but it wasn't the very sweetest thing I'd want to do to them. And I read a, a, a lovely little book, tiny little book by Catherine Cookson, not Catherine Cookson, Catherine, <laughs> I like her as well, <laughs> Catherine Booth, the granddaughter of the Salvation Army. Tiny little booklet. She was in her 80s and she would still go up in London with men and women that were drunk and bad language and everything else. So someone said to her one day, you know, you've never been kissed by a man. You've never even had, you know, how can you go up and have these people around you? How can you? Ugh. 
And she said, because I don't look at this. I look at their soul. Because that is what God came to save through Jesus Christ. If he came to save this, there's a lot of us that will probably be in a bit of a state. But he came to save the soul. And that took me into prison to be able to speak to some of these people. I could think, God wants to save their soul. And there's men in there that, well, that are on fire for God now. Not because of us, please, but because of the blood of Jesus. We used to sing about the blood, always used to sing, what can wash away their sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you remember, anyone remember being that, singing that in Sunday school? We tend to sing all God's lovely, and not, that's not wrong, but somehow we've forgotten, somehow we haven't got it in us anymore. It's only the blood of Jesus, nothing else that will set us free. I have to keep telling myself that over and over again. It's your blood that cleanses me. Another old-fashioned one. It's your blood that sets me free. Romans 8, 31 to 32. I hope I'm not depressing you. I hope you can see that this is actually a love story. The greatest love story. But we can't do it without the blood. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Gosh, if we've got a choice, aren't we silly if we don't make the... How many times have I done something and then I think, oh, only if, that if again. How will he not also along graciously give us all things who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, we've raised to life. It is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? Persecution or famine, nakedness or danger of the sword, it is written. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor the powers, nor the height nor the depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus because of the blood. Because of the blood of Jesus. We're going to be taking holy communion. Before God, <clears throat> before Jesus died, he knew what was going to happen, but he knew what it was for. He knew his blood was a gift to us where it would never, ever run out, 
unlike the bull's blood where it had to be brought again and again and the lamb and the dove, Jesus' blood once and for all. Whenever you take this, he says, remember me. We have a choice. We have a choice. I have a choice. I'm sure all of you have taken the right choice and followed Jesus Christ as your saviour. I'm sure you have. But the song, one of the songs that, that was taught us was that we can then take it out this is a fabulous church, I love this. But why isn't it full to the brim and outside? Because people have choices and there's consequences. We need to be able to take out and show out the love of God. So I asked you again, is the God of the Old Testament the same as God in the New Testament? Is it? Is that God who hated sin, detested sin, separated us from man, is he the same God as the God in the New Testament? He still hates sin, but he's paid the price. We are redeemed, we're sanctified, we're forgiven, and now we can have a relationship with the Almighty God because of the blood of Jesus. Father God, I want to thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. When we like sheep had gone astray, when we like sheep had gone our own way, we were just, well, we was up to our neck in sin. But you sent Jesus. Blessed Jesus, your holy Son, who took upon himself the sins of the world. Mine are heavy enough, but the sins of the world. No wonder the sky turned black. But we praise you, Lord God. It was the blood that has set us free. It's the blood that gives us eternal life. It's the blood that brings us back in union with our God, our Creator. And we, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.